Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this week, and thank you for joining us on a weekly basis because we normally are sharing a series. And we started talking because it is the new year. We started talking some things, uh, you know, on the heels of Christmas that are uh, not just relevant to the Christmas season, but relevant to the whole story of Christianity. We started last week by sharing with you out of Luke 1 how that John the Baptist was the fulfillment of the Malachi prophecies that I will send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. And then you see Malachi the fourth chapter, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the children to the fathers and the hearts of the fathers to the children, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And when you see Luke chapter 1 open up, it begins to reaffirm that John the Baptist is that messenger. So something was imminent upon this first century group of people. See, we try to carry some of that stuff over into what we think is future eschatological fulfillment, but the Scriptures very clearly let us know when the time and the season had fully arrived, and the timing of the Lord was in this first century. As a matter of fact, they came to Jesus and asked Jesus concerning John, and He tells them, of those born of women, there's not a greater than John the Baptist. But I say to you that he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. And He said, uh, they said, well, they, the prophets say that Elijah must first come before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And Jesus looks at them and He says very clearly, John the Baptist is Elijah, if you can hear it. In other words, he was the fulfillment of the, of the, of the prophetic word of Malachi 3 and chapter 4. And as I shared last week, this book here, especially that I wrote, From Law to Grace, and I would really encourage you to get this book because it will really help you understand and make a shift from uh, Law to Grace. It's available on our website, and it's also available on Amazon if you want to get that, or you can call the number on the screen and order the book over the phone. But in this book, John the Baptist is one of the most pivotal characters in human history because he's about to announce the coming not only of the Messiah King, but also of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in opening chapters of Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist is declaring, repent, change the way you think. That's what the Greek word repent means. Metanoia is the Greek word. Change the way you think. Change the way you think about what, John? about the coming of the kingdom, because it is at hand. If there's ever a word that God wants to release, I, 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 you know, I really want to emphasize this, is that the kingdom of God is not just the millennial reign of Jesus way out in your future somewhere. John announced to the first century, it is within your grasp, because there was a change of covenant, and at the change of covenant, an old covenant was about to pass away. A new covenant was about to come on the scene. And in the reality of that shift of covenant, it would take a repentance, a change of mind. 
you see, you know, there's a lot of people who have turned from, which again, the word repent means to turn from or to turn about or to change one's bent. And even in this modern day, there's a lot of people who have turned from law. But see, repentance, that's only half of the equation. Repentance is not just what you turn from, it's what you turn toward. And so we have turned from law, and a lot of people jumped on the bandwagon. We started preaching freedom from law, but they didn't get a hold of the gripped by grace part, or that because the government of law and the government of sin and death is no longer in, 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 in power, that it didn't leave us lawless. He gave us the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And the reality of it is, is when you turn from law, if you don't turn towards the Lord or the government of heaven, towards His Lordship, towards His kingdom, towards His kingship, uh, then you are an untoward generation. And I know that's a little bit of a play on words, but uh, that's why we have an untoward generation. Nobody knows what direction to turn towards to. But John was announcing something incredible. He was announcing the change of a covenant, and then he would look up over the bank of the River Jordan, and he would say, right there, ladies and gentlemen, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as I begin to share with you last week that in uh, when, when uh, Luke is writing the narrative to the most excellent Theophilus, he's telling him an orderly account of how things begin to unfold. And I, I, I'm going to read it again and then comment it, on, and we'll continue to build this over however long it takes us to do. But I'm going to start in verse 5 because verses 1 through 5 talks about him writing this orderly account to the most excellent Theophilus. He said, That was in the days of Herod the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense. And when he went into the temple of the Lord, and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense, then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And I want you to note that. You will call his name John. John's name means love or grace. Zachariah's name means whom God has promised. In other words, the promise of God to bring forth love and grace was now the timing of the Lord. You will call his name John, that's significant, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, he will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now that is a direct quote from Malachi chapter 4. This is the fulfillment of prophetic utterance that was declared almost 400 years prior to this. They've been waiting 400 years. God has said absolutely nothing for almost 400 years 
to uh, uh, to Israel, but now when he opens his mouth, the first thing he wants to declare is, I'm going to send you a messenger whose name is going to be called love or grace. And that's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And so Zacharias and Elizabeth have been waiting on this promise to be fulfilled of them having a child. And uh, uh, can you imagine uh, what they must have felt like when they, uh, as priests especially, and, and, and even Elizabeth being in the household of a priest, would have known that this is probably the fulfillment of Malachi chapter 3 and chapter 4. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands before the, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not be able to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. You know, I really believe we are standing in a season right now when there's a lot of people that are in the midst of a crisis of faith. I have to tell you that as I have, you know, I can really somewhat identify with the Apostle Paul when he says, yet upon all these things, the care of the churches is upon me. And as I have over the last two years watched the pressure mount and build on pastors and preachers and people uh, in the midst of this time of chaos and, and crises, that it is easy to get in a crisis of faith when you watch people around you start to pass away and you see things start to happen. Now let me just say this to you, because I think sometimes we blame God for a lot of stuff that God is not doing. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, uh, we, 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 we say things like, well, I believe when your number is up, your number is up, like God is setting up there with a big lottery machine, and if my number pops up, that means it's time for me to go. I just don't believe that there is a certain day I believe, in other words, let me just say it like this. The Scripture says in the book of Proverbs that wisdom and understanding is a tree of life, and length of days is in her own right hand. In other words, you can do some things and use a little bit of wisdom and understanding and increase the length of your days, whether it's proper eating, whether it's uh, you know uh, choices that we make. God so valued freedom in the Garden of Eden that He gave the man the choice to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or to eat from the tree of life. Yet He encourages us to choose life. Now, I think that there are some things, even in the midst of this pandemic, that if we would use wisdom and understanding, we might could lengthen our days and do everything that we know in order to be able to uh, uh, live a, a, a healthy and, and you know, I mean, I, I think there are things that I have done in my own life to change my uh, health. If you've watched me over the last 12 years that we've been on television, you've seen that I've lost a lot of weight because I'm trying to get my health in order and eat better than I have before. Not that I've had uh, any health issues before, but I was starting to get something on that slippery slope where I felt like there's some choices that I could make to give me a healthier and more long longevity to be able to preach the gospel and enjoy my journey. 
And so when we lose our loved ones, it's not like we say, well, God took them. I don't know why God took my spouse or God took my husband or God took my child. Many times it is not God who has taken them. He has received them. God receives our loved ones when they pass away, but He does not necessarily take them. In other words, there are some choices that you can make, and of course there are sometimes tragedies that take place, and the Scripture tells us that time and chance happens to us all, and being in the wrong place or the wrong time. I think it is imperative sometimes that we listen to the the Lord even when He would say to us, don't get in that car, don't go here, have enough sense to not do this. I mean, in other words, there are choices and decisions that people make. Even in this season, that are literally life and death choices. But sometimes I think we cop out by wanting to blame God for some stuff when it was not God's uh, God who did it. And so then we walk through crises of faith because all of a sudden God's not acting like we think He should. There is a, even towards the end of the life of John the Baptist, John the Baptist has declared with boldness when Jesus walked down over the bank of the Jordan River, He said, right there, ladies and gentlemen, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And He boldly declared that. And many of His disciples from that moment on left John and followed Jesus. But the night before they're going to behead John, John is in a crisis of faith. Because when you're going through a crisis, it's easy to have your faith shaken. It's easy to wonder, has God forgotten to be gracious? Has He shut up His tender mercies? Where is God at in all of this? But John the Baptist sends one of his disciples and said, you go ask him, is he the one or should we look for another? Here's John shaking in his faith. He's the one who declared, right there's the Lamb of God. But now, the night before they're going to chop his head off, he said, go ask him, are you the one? Because I'm willing to die for it, but I need to know if he's the dude or not. And Jesus, you would think, would owe him a straight up answer. You would think he would just say, go tell John, yes, I am in fact the one you declared. But he doesn't. Instead, he says, you go tell John, told John's disciples, you go tell John, the blind see, the deaf hear, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. In other words, what he's saying to John is, the reason, John, that you have this crisis of faith is because you thought I was going to come and smite the earth with a curse. And you came with the Malachi version of what I was supposed to do. But you go tell John the Isaiah version. In other words, you tell him that I didn't come first of all to smite the earth with a curse. I came to open the eyes of the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to declare the year of the favor of God. Watch this. When Jesus opens the book in His first public address, He quotes that very scripture. He said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, the recovery of sight to the blind, to bind up the brokenhearted, and to declare the year the acceptable year of the Lord, or the year of the favor of our God. And he closed the book. He didn't read the rest of that verse in Isaiah. And he said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. So in his first public address, he declares favor. See again, John's name means love or grace or favor. Now there's a lot I want to say over the next couple of things, because when Jesus, when God appears to Mary, he says, you are highly favored. And sometimes favor doesn't look like favor. As a matter of fact, for the life of Mary, it was about to go into turmoil. Her husband was about to put her, or, or her spouse, 
uh, fiance was about to put her away privately. She was about to receive a whole lot of reproach and favor did not look like favor at first. But what I want you to see is that John had this preconceived idea of what God was supposed to act like. And because he was manifesting the Isaiah version, the recovery of sight to the blind, uh, the binding up the brokenhearted, the setting at liberty them that are bruised. What he was doing was giving them the first part of Malachi's prophecy to turn the hearts of the children to the fathers and the hearts of the fathers to the children, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So he was declaring favor, first of all, because this was the season of favor. But because of John's paradigm, he's saying, go ask him, are you the one or should we look for another? Now, I'm not saying that the, the rest of that scripture in Isaiah it says, and to declare the day of the vengeance of our God. Jesus did not read that portion in Luke's gospel, I believe it is chapter 4, in his first public message. He declared favor. The reason he did that was because Israel would have another 40 years of being able to hear the message of favor, and God would give them every opportunity to turn their hearts and to repent from an old covenant paradigm to a new covenant paradigm, but he would ultimately, in A.D. 70, that he, Jesus would prophesy in Luke's rendition of the Olivet Discourse, he would say, these are the days of vengeance that all things that were spoken might be fulfilled. But he gave them every opportunity, even wept over them in Matthew 23, said, I would have gathered you under my feathers, as a hen doth gather her chicks, but you would not, therefore your house is left to you desolate. But sometimes when we have God in a certain time slot thinking, we might be going through a crisis of faith. But here's John the Baptist. I can imagine Zechariah and Elizabeth saying, you know, we've waited a long time. We, 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 we're barren. We've not had a child. And all of a sudden, in an atmosphere of incense being burned, which speaks of prayer, praise, and worship, God begins to release a word and says, I'm going to give you the opportunity to give birth to a son by the name of John. In other words, I think God is saying to people in this hour, I want to give you an opportunity to give birth to love and grace in this season. You know, I, I shared something on my Facebook page prior to our uh, to the Christmas season where I said to people, listen, uh, this might be a Pharisee alert, but when you get your loved ones together at your dinner table at Christmas or New Year's or even as the holidays have already passed, when they come, don't take that as an opportunity to feel like you've got to preach to them and straighten them out every time. Just love on them a little bit. I'm not saying that we don't have uh, a voice into their lives, but if you preach to them all the time, you ain't going to see them till next Christmas because sometimes we just want to just hound them and just preach to them. But the reality of it is sometimes I think we need to shift what we're doing and just trust God to do the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not our job to change them. It's His job to change them. But in the atmosphere of praise and the atmosphere of incense, atmosphere of worship, God began to release a word, and He said to Elizabeth and to uh, Zechariah, you are going to give birth to a son by the name of John. You're going to give birth to something that's going to have favor and love. And He is what is going to introduce the one who is to come. And He tells to uh, to. And he tells uh, Zechariah, what's going to happen is you're not going to be able to speak until the day that these things take place because you didn't believe. In other words, faith that, 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 that would declare, you see, anybody can declare doom and despair when it looks like doom and despair. 
But I have found out that what you preach is what will manifest. Jesus preached favor in the midst of Roman occupation, in the midst of a time when people were being oppressed and stuff was not good. Politically, it was a mess. The world was a mess. Everything was an upheaval and chaos was everywhere. And in the midst of that, God begins to, first of all, send a messenger by the name of love and grace, by the name of John. And he tells the present priesthood, you're going to be muted. You're going to be silenced until you know what to name this baby. You're going to, your voice is not going to be heard until the day that these things are fulfilled. I really prophesy that in this season, God is going to silence a lot of voices I think people have almost gotten to the place where they despise prophecy because a lot of these failed prophecies and failed prophets still are refusing to declare what God is saying. They're declaring these are the days of Moses and these are the days of Elijah. These are not the days of Moses and they're not the days of Elijah. This is the day of Jesus Christ. This is the day, I believe, of the church being manifested in the earth to bring forth something that's going to shift the dynamics. We must rise up to be the salt and the light in the earth, because the reality of it is Moses and Elijah appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they were the fulfillment right there on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Jesus rebuked the disciples after that when they said, let's call down fire from heaven like Elijah did, and, uh, you know, let, let's, let's act like Elijah. And Jesus rebuked him, said, you don't know what spirit you're of. He wasn't rebuking them for operating in a demonic spirit. He was rebuking them for operating in an old covenant spirit. Because he didn't come, first of all, again, to declare the judgment and the fire from heaven. And the, he came to declare favor. Now, let me say again that that did come in A.D. 70, but we have removed beyond the A.D. 70 because that was the end of the old covenant where God kept His promise to smite the earth with a curse because that's what Malachi had declared would happen. But we are living beyond the days of Moses. We are living beyond the days of, G, uh, of, of Elijah. And we are living in a new day under a new covenant. And He has sent us to declare favor even in the midst of chaos. And it may seem like you've waited a long time for the promise of God. I, there's somebody listening to me. And you've waited a long time for the promise of God, and it don't look like anything's happening. But can I tell you, in the season of your incense and your prayer and your praise and your worship, God is going to show up and give birth to something in your life that's going to shift the atmosphere. I believe in the midst of this season, we, as the church and the, and, and the people of God, go to prayer and intercession and, and, and standing before God and praising Him for what He's about to do in the earth. I'm going to declare favor because I believe that's what will manifest. And I think what's going to happen is God is going to silence a many of Zechariah who don't know what to call this baby. And so he remained speechless. And the people waited for Zechariah's marvel that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when He looked on me to take away my reproach. <coughs> Excuse me. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. 
And the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your room and bring forth a son, and he shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this thing be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered, said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maid servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now when Mary rose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered to the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth, and it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit is rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has recorded the lowliest state of this handmaid, for he have, for behold, henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has in a way. He has helped his servant Israel, remembered in his mercy as he spoke to the fathers and Abraham to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered. She brought forth a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great, great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they circumcised the child and they would call him by the name, watch this, of his father Zechariah. And his mother answered and so, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would call him. And he asked for a writing table and wrote, His name is John. So they marveled. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loosed and he spoke praising God. Then fear came on all those who dwelt round about them and all the sayings were discussed throughout the hill country of Judea and all those that heard kept them and their sayings in their heart what the child would be. We are almost out of time, but I want to declare to you that what God was doing was keeping them from naming this Zachariah Jr. or something from an old covenant paradigm until you know what to call it. You're going to have to keep silent. But when God starts to loose the tongue, I believe God is going to loose the tongue of a new priesthood in this hour to say His name is not Zachariah Jr. His name will be called love and grace, and He'll announce the coming of Messiah and the good news of the kingdom. We're out of time. 
Uh, if you'd like to sow something into this ministry to help us keep on the air, uh, please do that. You can go to our website. It's the easiest way to do that. You give via credit card, PayPal. There's also something you scan right on the screen to take you directly to a place where you can give, or you can call the number on the screen. Someone will take your call, or you can send a check or money order to the address that will come up on the screen. But do it today. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled, The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.